thank you so much for the morning for everyone to be able to be here. We ask that you just would uh, bring the message this morning through Stephen and through Pastor Tom, Lord, that our hearts would be prepared. And Lord, that uh, again, we would always take away everything that we learned from here. We thank you for the youth. Uh, we thank you for the leaders, especially me. And we ask that you bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God help Andy Spate. Please step out of the room for at least 10 minutes while lightning strikes you wherever you are. <laughs> Oh, my goodness gracious. Okay. Don't take it too seriously for someone new I didn't see. Yeah, exactly. All right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. So, Bobby kickstarted us on Wednesday night talking about evangelism. And Wednesday night is going to serve more as the practical side of evangelism. What we're going to spend some time uh, over the next few weeks, I don't have it exactly mapped out on how many weeks we're going to do this. I'm just going to kind of feel it out and see what we need to do. But I want to talk about the heart of evangelism evangelism. Because uh, one of the things that I have really learned in my life um, is that you can know a lot of different things about how to be obedient. You can even explain things to people on you know, how to get saved or how to be discipled or how to study your Bible. You can do all those things, but until you actually start doing it, you really don't learn anything. I mean, you may know stuff, but you haven't really learned it. And I remember back when I was working at Charles Schwab, I just remember, it's a financial company, and I remember that I worked there. I was getting my degree in, in Bible through Moody Bible Institute at the time. Uh, I started working there uh, just right when I started coming to the church here. And then when I was done at Moody, I ended up doing our Bible Institute here. But I remember while I was there, and I worked there for almost 10 years, that there were a ton of people that went to college, and they got their business degree, they got their financial degree, they got a job at Schwab. It's funny how that rhymes. Um, and I ended up training them on how to do their job. And I did not have a business degree. I did not have a financial degree. They didn't know anything. I mean, they may have knew underlying principles of business and underlying principles of finance, but they didn't know how to actually do their job in order to make money to provide for the things that they need. And so here I am as a student going online at a Bible school, and I'm teaching them how to do their job. And that just showed me something very, very important. That just because you might have a certificate or just because you might have knowledge, it doesn't mean anything. It's experience what really matters. Experience. And so when it comes to these issues of life, experience is the most important thing. Walking with God is so important, but you can't really walk with God until you actually start walking with God. That might sound like common sense, but it is totally legit. This is one of those things that you've got to get down. And if you have struggled with walking with God, or if you are in a place even today where you're, you're struggling in your walk with God, then start today. I, 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 there's so many people, and I even know in my own life, that... Because I've struggled in my walk with God or because I'm struggling with a sin issue or there's a certain thing that I'm just having a hard time with in life, that gives me a reason to not be faithful to God. That gives me a reason to not open up my Bible, to not open up my mouth, to not pray to Him. And that is totally wrong. Totally wrong. God is ready to forgive and He is ready to reconcile with you, but you just have to take that step. And you really have to take God at His word. And so we're going to talk about some things this morning uh, surrounding evangelism, but it's more about the heart of evangelism. And so it's going to speak directly to your guys' heart because I'm willing to bet that many of you have a hard time sharing your faith with others, not because you don't necessarily know how. Because for most of you, I would say, you know the gospel, that you have made a decision to trust Jesus as your Savior, and so you know how to tell someone else to get saved because of those simple things in your own life. The issue is your heart. 
That's really what it comes down to. It's your heart between you and the Lord. Because when your heart is right with God, and you are excited about the things of God, it becomes very easy to talk about God and talking about the things of God. And so if you're not excited, like if God gives you an opportunity to talk about Him, and you're not excited about it, I'm not saying you're not afraid, because we all get afraid, but if you're not excited about it, if you're not excited about that opportunity, there is something wrong with your heart between you and the Lord. There's something wrong. So, I want to get into this. I want to dive into some passages this morning. I kept the study sheet wide open today um, because I wanted you to write out some of the things that really stood out to you from those verses. Um, But we're going to talk about the heart of evangelism, the heart of evangelism. Okay, so let's define a couple terms here up at the top. All right, evangelism. Very simply, it is the preaching or promulgation of the gospel. That's a fancy word. You can start using it this week if you'd like. Um, I'm totally allowing you to do that. So if you want to do that, that's fine. But it's the spreading of the gospel, the teaching, the speaking, the preaching of the gospel. And so what is the gospel? The gospel, and this is a Webster's definition, then we're going to take a look at the Bible's definition in 1 Corinthians 15. But the Webster, 1828, it puts it this way. It is the history of the birth, life, actions, death, resurrection, ascension, and doctrines of Christ. Or a revelation of the grace of God to fallen man through a mediator including the character, actions, and doctrines of Christ with the whole scheme of salvation as revealed by Christ and His apostles. This gospel is said to have been preached to Abraham by the promise, in thee shall all nations be blessed. And that's because the seed of Jesus was going to come through the line of Abraham and then he would author and finish the gospel. Go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Let's see what the Bible says about the gospel. This is the clearest place in the Bible that lays out the gospel and what it means. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. Give me a reader. Ethan. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I have preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I declare unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Okay, this is at the very core of the Gospel. So, just knowing information, verse 3 really lays it out very nicely. How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That is at the very core of the Gospel. That He died for you, for your sins, and that after He died, He was buried, and that He rose again from the dead, defeating sin and death, and then He ascended up uh, to heaven with, with God the Father 40 days later. So that is the gospel. If we were to boil it all down, that's really what it is. And it's belief in that and that alone for salvation. That He died for my sins. That there's nothing that I can do personally to atone for my sins. There's nothing that I can do to make up for my sins or to earn favor with God. Like literally, there's, there's absolutely nothing inside of me that I have that ability. It's trusting in Christ and Christ alone that He died for me. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 1 John 2.2. It says, and He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And I love that word propitiation. It's one of my favorite words that describes really the heart of God on this issue. 
And that I, I just sim simply just remember it as, as the word trade. It is the most unfair trade that this world has ever seen. That God would take my sins upon himself as if he committed them and then gave me his righteousness. Every time I think of that, every time I think of that, it kills me. I mean, I'm thankful, I'm grateful, but I know, I know what I've done just yesterday. Like, I know what I've done to offend God. And I know how I've sinned against God. And yet God is so good to me that He's willing to take those things upon Himself as if He was the one that did them to take my hit for me, to take the wrath of God on my behalf for me, and then gave me His righteousness? That is unbelievable. That is unbelievable. So when you see this where Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, oh man... Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. No, 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 no. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Like, this is majorly important. One of the biggest things you guys need to nail down. And then take a look at these two verses. I love these two verses. Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed of it. Why? For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein, in the gospel of Christ, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The only way that you can have the righteousness of God is through the gospel of Christ, and you must believe it. And that's what it says in these two verses. I love it. I love it. If you do not have the righteousness of God, you have no hope when you die. And you have no hope while you're alive on this earth, too. No hope. None. If you do not have the righteousness of God on you, you're it. That's it. That's it. It's over. And the only way that can happen is through the gospel of Christ by believing what it says here in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4. And so what I love about this is that the, in Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about how Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. The author. The author and finisher. I love that. I love it. He's the one. It was in his mind. It was in his heart. He authored it. He created it. He established it. He published it. He lived it out, obviously, in order to author it. And then he finished it, which means when something's finished, what does that mean? It's done. You can't go back and alter that. So he started it and he finished it. And you can have great confidence in that. So when it comes to the gospel, and my whole point of kind of bringing these, these elements up here is that Jesus is what's called in Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3, it says that He is the express image of God the Father. Which means if you've seen Jesus, you've actually seen God the Father. Because the Bible talks about how God the Father is actually a spirit, and He's invisible, and you cannot see Him. But Jesus is not. He, he was manifested in bodily form, so anyone that sees Jesus, they actually see God. And that's what Jesus even said to His disciples in the Gospels. And so since that's the case, this gospel that he authored and that he finished is the manifestation of God's heart. This is why you should never get tired of the gospel. And that every time you have the chance to share it with somebody, you should be stoked. Like you should be excited about it because you are, you are getting an opportunity to show someone the heart of God through your words and your actions in your life. It should be one of the most amazing things you ever get to do. Intense. Might freak you out, might make you scared, but it's exciting. It's exciting. 
And so to know the gospel is to really know God. And to know God is to know the gospel. So here's my point, and I want you to think about this for a second. If the gospel of Jesus Christ has become wearisome for you, and it's become dry to you, then you have departed from the heart of God. You've left it. That's a problem. That's a huge problem. The fuel that should keep your faithfulness going is the gospel. That's it. I mean, honestly, the, the reason why you get up in the morning to open up your Bible, the reason why you pray throughout the day, the reason why you continue to make good decisions and to, to do what's right and to live out things that are, that are righteous, to have a good testimony, for no other reason than the gospel. That's it. It's not because you want to look good. It's not because you want to disappoint your parents or you want to disappoint your leaders, especially Andy. I know that's really, that's really the heart of it right there. I know, I know. Um, it's not about any of that kind of stuff. I'm telling you, if you are doing this Christian walk for those things, it's never going to last. It's never going to last. If you're doing it for your disciple, discipler, if you're doing it for whatever, I mean, whatever it is, the only thing that's going to keep you going, your faithfulness must be fueled by the reality of the gospel. That's it. Because every time that I am unfaithful, every time that I struggle, every time that I, I am weak, and I am, I am just ashamed of myself, you know what I do? I go back to the gospel. I go back to the gospel, and I remember, man, I need a Savior. And I'm so thankful that I have a Savior. And I, and I take God at His word. Like a verse to me yesterday that was huge, and I was reminded of this yesterday, was 1 John chapter 1, where it says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you believe that? Like, if you really believe that, then you will pour out your heart to God and you will talk to Him openly about your sin issues or the things that you're struggling in. And you'll say, you know what, God? I know what you've said. And I know that you said that if I confess this to you, if I'm honest with you about it, that you are faithful and you are just to cleanse me of this and all this unrighteousness in my life. I believe you. And then you step forward by faith in believing that. It really is that simple. And I don't know why we are just so stupid. And why we just prolong this sort of thing in our own life. So that is the gospel. So if you, for whatever reason, have just grown tired of the gospel, or it's just been something that you just started to do, or you start coming to church just because it's routine, there's something wrong in your heart. And so I want to take a little bit of time this morning, and I don't know if we're going to hit all these in their entirety. I would love to. We'll see what kind of time we have. But I want to go through these passages because I want you to see the heart of God. I really do. I want you to see God's heart through the Scriptures. I want to walk through these things together, and I want you to be reminded of the heart of God for you. I really do. And I'm hoping this will help you to correct some things in your thinking, in your mind, because I don't know where you're at. I mean, the only thing that I have going on right now is I know me. I know the things that I've been working through personally. I know what the Word of God says, and I see your faces. That's all I see. And so I'm hoping this morning that we can walk through this together and it really sparks something new inside of your heart or maybe refreshes you in a few things. Okay, so the heart of God. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. When I, when I consider the heart of God, I can't help but to go here. 1 John chapter 4. One of my favorite places in the Bible to... Really meditate on God's heart. 1 John chapter 4. Alright, 1 John 4. And let's start off in verse 7. Verse 7. Okay, verse 7. Beloved, 
Let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Okay, so if you are born again, if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, a big part of your life is going to be this love that comes from God. That's verse 7. Verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Well, that's important. So if this love that God describes, which is different from the world's kind of love, and we'll talk about this in a minute because God's going to define it, this love has to exist in your life, and if it doesn't, then you really don't know God. And that's a huge problem. Verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. All right, so now he's going to show it. He defined it by action. This love manifested toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. So there's the example, and now he's going to define it. Verse 10. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Okay, i got to stop there for a second before going any farther. Okay, so after reading those two verses, how would you describe the love of God? He lays it out pretty clear, but how would you describe it? Come on. What do we got? Yeah. Sacrificial. Sacrificial. Yeah. How so? Let's take it deeper. Yeah. Um, God kind of showed it to us through giving us Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And what did he say specifically about Jesus? He was the only one. Only begotten son. Do you know what that means? God gave all he had. I mean, you start to really think about that. God gave all he had in order to save us. What does God have? I mean, he has everything, right? He's the creator. But the thing that was the most precious to him, himself, he gave all that he had for you. Like he gave, there's nothing more that God could give. There is absolutely nothing more that God could give. And then notice it says, Is it because you loved him first? No, it's because he loved you first. So him giving this, giving all that he had, was totally dependent upon who? You? No, himself. He knew you. Before before he even came and he died for you, he knew you. And he knew that you were a sinner. He knew that you were a failure. He knew that you struggled with things. He knew that you were imperfect. He knew that you were corrupt. He knew all those things. I don't think we understand. Like, Do you understand that God sees to the very depth of who you are in greater detail than you will ever understand yourself? Like, He sees you through and through. Down to those things that you hide from everybody that you're ashamed of, God not only knows that, but He knows deeper. He knows even deeper than that. And yet, He still chose to give all in order to redeem you. Like He gave everything to redeem you. That is love. That is love. When you look at someone, and despite all of their flaws and failures, you give all that you have for them so they can live. Way different than how the world defines it. And this is why if you don't know God in this kind of love, you cannot love other people properly. 
Like there is absolutely no way that you can love other people properly. And when you understand this kind of love, what it does inside of you is it spurs and creates faithfulness to God. When I hear this about my Lord and my Savior, I hate myself. I hate who I am. I hate what I do. But it causes me to well up with comfort and peace knowing that He loves me like that. And how can I not give myself? How could I not say yes to Him? How could I not be excited to be in His family? Like if that's not in your life, are you even saved today? Are you even saved? Because that is the gospel. That is what Jesus Christ authored and that He finished for you. For you. Forget the person next to you. You. Now take a look at verse 11 based on all that. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Oh, man, right there. There it is. That same love that God has for you is the same love that you should be having for other people. Other people that are saved, other people that are lost. Verse 12. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us because He hath given us of His Spirit. So the moment that you're born again, He gives you His Spirit. That's Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. And He dwells inside of you. And He gives you, the Spirit of God gives you the supernatural ability to love and care for each other. And it's all fueled by this heartbeat behind the gospel. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed that the love God hath to us, God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Verse 17, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. When you are living this out properly between you and God, you have no reason to be ashamed, because your walk with God is fueled by all these things, and you're going to be faithful to Him. And yeah, we, we fall short, but whenever I fall short, you know what the Bible says? Whenever you make mistakes, you know, if you're willing to just confess those things and to judge yourself according to the Scriptures, God's okay with that? That is so important. That was such a huge factor in my life that I never want to forget. I want to make sure that I judge myself lest I be judged. If I'm willing to be honest with God and open with Him and His Word and let it judge me, then I have no problem to stand before Him. Now, I'm going to be fearful on that day because He's God. I mean, anytime you see, like even John. John was the closest disciple out of all the disciples. He was the one that laid on Jesus' chest and he heard his heartbeat. He was the one that knew when the disciples were asking the question, when Jesus said, one of you will betray me. He is the only one that said, Lord, who is it? The other disciples, they said, is it I? Is it I? John knew that he was not going to betray his Savior. He knew that. He knew that. He was the first one to recognize Jesus after he rose from the dead. He was the first one to believe outside of Mary that he rose from the dead when he saw the grave. He was the first one and yet, when he saw Jesus face to face in Jesus' glorified state, he fell to his feet as if he was dead. And so if John's going to have that response, I have a feeling, so will I. But I can have boldness in that day if I'm willing to daily open up God's Word and let His Spirit judge me and His words judge me and say, you know what, God, you're right. You're right. And I'm sorry. 
And then following the first John one nine, that he is faithful to forgive me if I'm willing to confess those things to him. Look at verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Now look at this one, verse 20. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? And this is the commandment we have from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. I wanted to start off with this one because when you really understand the gospel and you understand what God did to purchase your redemption and not just yours, but also the rest of the world, how can you say that you are not willing to share the good news of the gospel with someone when you have an opportunity? You must hate them so bad to not give them the words of life. And God says very clearly here, if you love me, how can you hate your brother? Now, I know this is directly talking about other believers. I know that. But let's devotionally apply this to the lost world. This lost world sucks. Am I right? It's horrible. People are terrible. Corrupt. Disgusting. And yet, God gave His all. He gave His all. He gave everything that He had for them. That's why I love 1 John 2 too. And He is the perpetuation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The whole world. So you cannot be right with God while having malice in your heart towards others. Who is unworthy of the Gospel? Or who have you deemed unworthy of the Gospel? That is a tough pill to swallow. The reality is, is that it's you. It's you. You are unworthy for the gospel. And yet God gave it to you. So we need to feel the same towards others. That is the heart of God. And my goodness, that'll define the rest of these passages. So I wanted to take some time to really work through those. Alright, I'm going to show you the next couple. The next couple I got up on the screen. Based on the context of 1 John 4, here you go. John 3, 16 and 17. We know these ones, but slowly work through this in the same context that we just talked about, okay? For God so loved the world, not loved, so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son all that He had. Why? That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Whosoever. He knew that there are going to be people that don't believe. But that did not stop God from doing it. He knew that He was going to pay for the sins of people that would remain unredeemed and at the end of their life go to hell. He knew that ahead of time. In fact, He knew that the majority of people would make that decision. And yet, He still gave all that He had that we might have this opportunity. Verse 17, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, which is what everybody thinks. This is what everybody thinks. Everybody thinks that God is just condemning of the world. Okay, okay, yeah, He's going to judge the world one day. But do you understand that if God wanted to condemn the world, He would have done it a long time ago? And we would not be here? So He sent His Son not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. That's the heart of God. There is no one that loves like God. No one. 
No one. And when I remember stuff like this, it helps me. It helps me to have boldness with other people. It helps me to have boldness to deal with the crap in my own life. We need to do the same. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is long-suffering. He wants... Now, if we were to look at the context of this, of this verse, we would find that it's in the context of the second coming. That there's coming a day where God is going to just... It says in Hebrews chapter 1 that He upholds all things by the word of His power. There is coming a day where his, the word of His power will stop. That He will stop holding everything together and then all the atoms of all existence will just break apart. And once that happens, you have a giant nuclear reaction, universe-wide, where everything is going to burn up. Everything. And there's going to be no place left for anyone to hide. And then you have the final judgment. And God says in that context that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise. He will come and He will set things right. He's not slack. People think that He's slack, but He's not, as some men count slackness. But He is long-suffering. The only reason why God has not come back yet is because He authored and finished the gospel. And He is waiting for people to continue to believe it and be redeemed. That is the only reason. I look at this world... And I say, dear God, come back now. It is a hellhole. And it is getting worse by the day. And then I realize, it's because I don't belong here. And God is long-suffering. He is withholding His just judgment and His wrath upon this world because He is long-suffering. Even when you read the book of Revelation, which is in crazy intense, a lot of people are very confused by it. There's an easy way to read it. We can talk about that some other time. But even when you read the book of Revelation, do you realize how just methodic God is on all this stuff? Like, okay, yeah, there are seven seals. And then, you know, it's also represented by the seven bowls and the seven vials. And you have the Antichrist. And you have all this worldwide destruction. You have all these things happening. Why does God do it in such a systematic way? Like, why did He take His time to work through such catastrophic events? Because even then, in the midst of all the ungodliness that's happening during Revelation, He still wants people to be reconciled unto Himself during that time. And He's pressing harder and harder, giving people, especially Israel, chance after chance after chance after chance after chance after chance. It even says very specifically in Revelation that even after all the things that unfold with the plagues and with the, like the one where they end up getting stung and they want to die and they can't, which... Run that one out a little bit. That means that they try to shoot themselves in the head and it won't work and they'll still be alive. I don't know how that's going to work out, but that's exactly what the Bible says and I believe the Bible. They're going to go to the top of buildings and they're going to jump off to try to commit suicide and it's not going to work. They're still going to be alive. It says that they will seek death and not be able to find it. And even through the midst of all that, it says that they blame God for it all. And God's like, no, I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to capture your heart. I'm trying, I'm, I'm waiting, I'm long-suffering, I'm doing all these things because I want you to understand that I love you and I care about you. And yet, people will refuse. They refuse, they refuse, they refuse, they refuse. 2 Peter 3.9 is among my favorites. That he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that is the heartbeat of God. That's the heart of God surrounding the gospel. Go to Mark 10. Mark 10. Mark 10. 
Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Verse 17, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? It's a great question. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. And then look what Jesus said, because Jesus knows the truth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he, went, and he was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. I love this scenario because this guy comes up to him, asks a great question. And Jesus kind of pokes at him a little bit in verse 18. He's like, there's none good but one, and that's God. So, are you calling me God? And he says, okay, you know the commandments. If you really want to be right with God, you know the commandments. And he starts laying them out. And he's like, oh, I've done all that. <laughs> okay, sure. Sure, yeah. Okay, sounds good. And then Jesus says, that's right, he says, beholding him, he loved him. You know what I do sometimes? I find myself doing this with my kids. They have a form of self-righteousness where they're like, I didn't, I didn't do that. Start blaming other people. Drives me insane. I'm like, all right! (laughs) I get mad. You know what Jesus' response was? He beheld him. He saw through it. He didn't let his emotions dictate what was going to go on. He didn't let... God could have gotten very frustrated. He beheld him and he loved him. He's like, all right, I'm going to do one thing. I'm going to say something to you and I'm going to reveal to you the core issue of what's going on in your heart. Boom, lays it out. And that was an opportunity for him to make it right. And he didn't. He went away sad. There was one thing in his heart that he was not willing to give over to the Lord. And that stopped him from having a real relationship with God. And Jesus is so good to us in the midst of our self-righteousness that He's willing to show us exactly what's going on in our hearts and in our lives. And then it's our choice whether or not we want to deal with it and move forward with Him or walk away sad. Because that's what happens. When you don't deal with the junk that God's bringing up in your life, your only other option is to walk away sad. That's it. And then you wonder why you're miserable. That's why. That's why. Go to Luke 13. Luke 13. We're going to look at Luke 13 and Luke 19. Luke 13, verse 34 and 35. 34 and 35. Someone read that for me. 34 and 35. Good. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which tells the prophets, and so does them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, and verily I say unto you, ye shall not see me, until the time come when ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. When you read those verses, do you feel God's heart? I do. I mean, look at it again. He's looking at Jerusalem. After all the things that Jerusalem has done to him, the Israelites, 
After all the things they put him through, just go back and read the Gospels and how they ridiculed him and they mocked him. They tried to entrap him in his words and ultimately they killed him and he knew that was going to happen. But look at his heart towards them. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets. He knew all the prophets that came before. He was the one that sent them, by the way. He was the one that sent those prophets unto his people that they killed and crucified, including himself. And stone is them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings? And ye would not. Like that's how God looked at them. God looked at them as, you have no idea. You have no idea, my people, how often I wanted to bring you all together and to bring you near unto me, to give you comfort and safety and security. I wanted to bring you in, but you wouldn't. Oh. This is what we do all the time. And you need to look at lost people this way. How often, how often God wants to bring them in and yet they don't want to. But that doesn't mean you stop caring for them and that you stop loving them and you stop wanting them to be right with God. No, you can't do that. How dare we do that? And so the only result is, verse 35, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate because that's what you chose to do. And of course it says, Verily I say unto you, you shall not see me until the time come when you shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. That is, that's, 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 that's huge. When I look at that, God never gave up on them. He still hasn't given up on them. When frankly, they deserve it, and so do we. But he's like, okay, fine. Your house is left unto you desolate. And you won't see me again, ever. No, that's not what he said. You won't see me again until... Until you repent and you get right with me and you say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. You've actually received me for who I am. And that's going to happen in the future. Zechariah prophesies about that. But you've got to read that with Jesus' heart. Go over to Luke 19. Here's another great example. Luke 19. 41. Very similar. 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city... And wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave thee one stone upon another, because thou knowest not the time of thy visitation. And look what he did. And he went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold therein, and them that bought, saying unto them, It is written, My house is the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And he taught daily in the temple. So he never gave up on them, even though he wept over them, and he told them what was going to happen in their future. Verse 47, he taught daily in the temple. But the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him and could not find what they might do, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. So even in the midst of all that, do you see God's heart? I mean, do you really see God's heart? He's weeping for them. And even in the midst of it, where he's like, fine, I'm done with you. Like, do you realize, like, if we were Jesus in this moment, what you would have done? Fine, I'm done. I'm done. You don't want me? Fine, I'm out. I'm out. No, he said... This is the choice you're making. I'm crying for you. You is not right. And yet I'm still going to teach you. I'm still going to teach you. I'm still going to teach you. I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to be with you. I'm still going to be in the midst of you. I'm still going to do it. And he says it over and over and over and over again. This is so different than how we operate as Christians. 
so different. Why do we not love people like this? Jesus is the best example on how we should care for other people. And when you love someone like this, then you don't have to worry about the words that are coming out of your mouth. You really don't. I mean, there is a a way to become more confident, and we're going to work through all that stuff. There's a way uh, that you can talk to people and gain some boldness. But forget all that for a minute. If you have this kind of heart, you don't really need someone to tell you what to do necessarily. You'll figure it out because you care about them so much that you'll find a way. You will find a way to be able to talk to them, to be able to invite them to do something with you or to go to church or to just open up the some way, some way. Even if it's something small, you'll do something and you won't stop. You won't stop. Go over to Luke 23 since we're already pretty close. I know it's a little warm in here. Hang with me. Luke 23. While Jesus was on the cross, look what he says, verse 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And then look what happens. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. I mean, he was just belittled at every turn. And what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't have a clue what they're doing. In their ignorance, God, please be gracious to them and forgive them. This is another just great example of how we need to care for each other. This is why 1 John talks so much in chapter 4 about if you say you love God, this is how you're going to love people. This is it. God gave His all and we need to be able to give our all. All right. This last point, I'm just going to mention these verses so we don't have time to really work through these because I want to get to something. Um, so Hebrews 12, 1-3, I already mentioned that, that Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of our salvation. And then Acts 20, verse 28 says that He purchased you with His own blood and He purchased you as a flock, as a flock, which means that we're all dumb sheep. So, you're welcome. It's a great illustration. But I want to show you something. There's a couple of videos that I found uh, the first one's a little bit, um, the volume's not as great, so I'm going to try to do as much as I can, but it's really, really good. It's such an example of who we are and even lost people, and then I'm going to close with just a couple things with our bottom line. All right, let's see if we can do this. That God purchased you with His own blood. So what I've got here is actually a cast ram, all right? So this happens quite a lot. And what they basically do is just roll over on their back and they can't get up or move. So what you want to do is just get them up so they're on their feet and just hold them to get the blood circulating because they're going to be a little bit unbalanced. And obviously if I didn't get to this ram, the ram could blow, it could go out, you know, um, get a bit gassy and ultimately die if I don't get to him fast enough. So you just want to hold him just to regain his balance and once it's been a minute or two he should you can see he's a bit wonky falling away and do you know what he's just done the exact same thing (laughs) 
So what I'm going to do is just hold him for a little bit longer. So I've just held him for a little bit longer, and as you can see, he looks, he's a little bit wonky, but he's gaining the balance. God died for that accent too. All right. We hear, did you get that? Okay. So we are as sheep. And what happened with that ram is that it fell over and it laid there for way too long. And he says, what did he say? What was the, what was the word? What was the phrase? Wonky. No, no, no. Not that one. Not that one. Wrong phrase, Carson. Oh, I can always count on you, Annie Andy, to get it derailed. What's that? What did you say? Wonky. I never would said that. <laughs> what was the phrase? That he was going to hold him. He was going to hold him. He picked him up and he held him. And he didn't hold him long enough. And so he let him go. And then... You know, and then he falls over again. He's like, so what do I need to do? I need to hold him a little bit longer. Oh, that is the Lord towards us. That's how he is. And here's the reality. is just as you have a farmer who's taking care of his sheep, there are so many lessons. Because as you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, guess what you have to learn? You have to learn how to be a shepherd. you got to learn how to be a sheep farmer. And there's going to be times where you're going to see people... And they just need held. And you may not be able to hold them, but you can pray for them. And you can be with them. And you can care for them. And then they might end up falling again. And you're just going to have to hold them a little bit longer. Because that's exactly what God has done for you. That's exactly what He's done for you. And if God had loved us like that, my goodness, we need to be able to love other people like that. Now, there's one more video. This one's kind of funny. The volume's going to be loud on this one, I think. Let me see. You silly, silly sausage, getting your head trapped in a fence. Why on earth would you want to do that? Not even a thank you from the sheep. Rude, rude little girl. <laughs> Not even a thank you. It's a little wonky. A little wonky. But you know what? Here's what you need to remember from that one. I like that one. Just because you have no idea the things that God has done for you to get you unstuck. Your stupid head in a fence. <laughs> and yet, how often do we thank God? And we really don't. And God has been so good to us. And so here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. And we're going to spend some more time next week talking about this. The closer you walk with the Lord, the more of His heart you receive. The closer you walk with the Lord, the more of His heart you receive. And that is absolutely true. I got several verses that I don't have time to, to share, but I'm going to share them with you next week. Some of you might be in a position right now where you're like, okay, yep, I get it. I have just been absolutely unfaithful to God. You know, I, I've not done what I should have been doing. My Bible reading has been terrible. I've not been talking to Him. I've not cared for the people around you. Okay, so now what? You're going to let that just be the thing that continues to drive your unfaithfulness this week? Are you really going to let that just be something that continues to spur on your lack of care for the people around you this week? Are you really going to do that? It starts with the conviction. It starts with understanding, you know what, God, I've just messed this whole thing up. And you need to talk with Him about it. And be honest with Him about it. And don't, don't turn around and be like, okay, 
all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my Bible like five hours a day for the next six days. No, no, no. No, you're just trying to cover up your unrighteousness with your own self-righteousness. That's not going to work. Be honest with God and just start talking to Him and spend time with Him. Honestly, that's all you really need to do. I'm going to share with you next week. I remember the time where, where God really hit me like a ton of bricks with this. I was on a mission trip to Costa Rica. And there were several passages that he really brought to my attention that for no other person, it was just, it was just for me. And there were verses that he just burned inside of my heart that I go back to whenever I have failed and I've just not been loving people the right way. I've not been following the Lord properly. I've not, I've not done that. There are certain verses for me personally with my testimony that God just captured my attention with these things. And it really starts with you just talking to the Lord and being like, I need to do something different. I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of doing this over and over again. I need to do something different. I need to. I must. I've got to. And start talking to Him. Be faithful in your Bible reading, but don't do it just to read your Bible. Do it because you want to spend time with God. Because the more time, the more quality time you spend with God, the more of His heart that you're going to get. And you will find that some of the crap that you've been dealing with and some of the sin issues that you've been struggling with will start to melt away. And it's not because you've gotten any better or that you've gotten more control over it. It's because you're more surrendered to the Lord. And as you spend time with Him, you naturally start to take on some of His characteristics and you don't want that junk in your life anymore. Because you love Him. One of the greatest points of accountability is your love for God. Your love for God. How much you actually love God. When you love God, you will not deal with sin in your life meaning you're not going to mess around with it. You will deal with it and you will get right with God. But it's not going to be an issue as much for you anymore because you love Him too much to let that thing come in between you and Him. Alright, let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank You for our time together this morning. I pray that You would help us to grab a hold of these things. Uh, thank You for reminding me of these things and thank You for reminding me of Your heart towards me. And I pray, God, that I would be uh, just more faithful to You this week. Um, I am sorry for who I am and the things that I've done, and I am so thankful that I have a Savior that I can trust in, that I can take you at your word, and that you have not given up on me. I see that video of that ram, and I do think of myself. And so I'm just thankful that you have uh, taken the time to even hold me just a little bit longer uh, while I try to regain some of my balance at times in my life. So help us, Father, to be faithful, and uh, that you would be able to trust us, and that we'd be good ambassadors for you this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.